Hello, everyone. Welcome. Happy Easter. It's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we love to say around here, he is risen. Everybody responds, he is risen indeed. You've done that. Can we just do that again at everyone at all of our campuses? He is risen. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Absolutely. And we are one church, as you guys know, uh, that meets in multiple locations. So can we just show some good hospitality and welcome everybody in at all the campuses? It's like, hey, one big kind of family today, Edgewood, Aberdeen. Abingdon, Mountain Road, online people, glad you're with us as well. This is kind of like our Super Bowl, you guys, isn't it? Uh, somebody heard that and they said, no, you mean like World Cup. I'm like, soccer, really? Come on. So anyway, no, how many would say World Cup? See, there's my point right there. So all right, it's the Masters or it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the Cornhole Championship of the World, whatever you want to say. The, the point is it, it's, it's, it's marking the central and pivotal moment in all of history and the, the centerpiece of our faith, isn't it? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it gives us a really good opportunity, I think, to kind of think about our lives. And especially with everything that's been going on in the last couple of years, it's a good moment for us to kind of assess, like, where are you with God? What, let's think about our priorities together over the next little while. And maybe ask this question, am I Am I taking Jesus seriously? Like if I asked Jesus, would he say, you're taking him seriously? It's a really important and, and good question, isn't it? And we'll think about that together today. Now, today's also a cool day because, as you maybe have figured out, at each of our campuses we have these baptismal pools set up, and already some people have indicated at every campus and at every hour that they're in, and they're going to be baptized a little bit later in the service. And I think that's just really, really cool, and I just want to say, God bless you. You have chosen what truly matters and uh, as you surrender in Christ, I believe we've been praying that as you lead the way, a lot of other people are going to see that and also just be moved by God to respond today in a way that maybe they weren't even planning on ahead of time. I might be talking to you to join you and me and the campus pastors in the water. I believe that's um, going to happen in just a little while. And I want to plant that seed because I think some people are ready to say, I want that change in my life that God can bring. And I'm ready to take Jesus seriously. So we're going to offer that invitation to you and uh, let you respond to that in a little while. So, so um, speaking of taking things seriously, we all know what it's like, right, to give some advice and someone completely blows you off and just like, ah, they don't pay any attention. Nah, that doesn't sound important, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? You give some advice and they just like totally ignore you. Well, that doesn't always bode well. Here's a fun uh, a video collection of what can happen when you ignore good advice. Go ahead and watch the screen. Check this out. Okay, that ice isn't very thick. Ah, there's some advice. I don't know. Looks pretty good to me. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I love how her girlfriend just laughs at her the whole time and gets it on video. Keep an eye on your kid. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Here's some good advice. Don't get a cat. Or if you do, please don't name it Princess. <gasps> princess! <gasps> princess! 
All right, how about this one? When you're getting a haircut, sit still. Sit still. <laughs> That's a bad feeling right there. So over the last few weeks, we've been in this series that we've been calling, What If Jesus Was Serious? And we've been looking at some of his most famous teaching that's collected in a place in the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it's all these famous sayings that a lot of us like to remember and quote and so forth. But then we've been asking this question, like, wait a second, like, what if Jesus actually meant for us to do this stuff. <laughs> like when he says, um, love your enemies. Was he serious? Like when he says, forgive someone or turn the other cheek or when he says, this is how you should pray or when he says, hey, your lust is a problem or deal with your anger or don't let worry get to you. Is he serious? What if we took Jesus seriously? What if... What if one of the reasons why a lot of people in our society today don't take Jesus very seriously is because the people who say they do don't? What if Jesus was serious? So at the end of this whole thing, Sermon on the Mount, right, he concludes it by saying everything he taught is something he wants us to remember and do. And he proves he's absolutely serious by what he says. And here's what he says. He says, I want you not just to listen to what I've said to you. I want you to do it. He actually made that crystal clear. So in other words, everything Jesus is teaching us and saying in the Sermon on the Mount is not like just some nice little spiritual quotes that you can put on a meme or up on your bathroom wall, right? but that Jesus is asserting who he is. He's, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming that he has that kind of authority, that that's who he is, that he speaks with truth, with wisdom, and, 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 and with the love and the power of God himself. And to drive his point home, here's what he says. It comes to the end of chapter 7. He says, listen, he says, um, put it this way. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate, and a lot of people are going to go through the wide gate in life but it's going to lead to destruction. I'm the narrow gate. Follow me and I will lead you to life. Who says that? Who says follow me and I'll help you find real life? Only someone who's claiming to be God. After that, he says there's good trees and bad trees and good trees bear good fruit and bad trees, they bear bad fruit. And he says at the end of your life, I'm the one who's going to declare whether the fruit of your life was good or bad. Who who says, I'm going to meet you on Judgment Day and decide for you what's up with your life? Jesus says, I am. That's a bold claim. And then to drive home who he's saying he is and why we should take him seriously, he tells a story, as he often does. This story is found in Matthew 7, and it goes like this. So Jesus starts out, and he kind of says, you know, there's two kinds of people. And he likens them to two different kinds of builders. And Jesus himself was a carpenter. And he knows, like my brother's a carpenter, and I've learned by watching him there's always two ways to do something, right? There's a good way and a not-so-good way. And that's what Jesus is kind of saying here. 
He says, I've just taught you all this stuff about how to live, how to love, how to pray, how to forgive, how to have a happy, blessed life, right? I've done all this now. And here's what he says. Anyone who hears these words of mine but goes on and then does them, like you put them into practice, like you move it from your head down to your heart, if you do that, you're like a wise person. You're like a builder, he says, who builds a house on a solid foundation of rock. So you kind of picture in your mind this first house going up that is carefully selected and built on this solid foundation. Jesus says there's a problem. Well, a huge storm comes along. Heavy rains and high winds just beating on that little house, just shaking it like crazy, and the floodwaters are rising all around. But here's the thing. That house stood firm. It was totally fine. Why? Because it was built on a solid rock. That's the deal. And then Jesus, when he said that, I think everyone listening to him was thinking, wait a second, gee whiz. I mean, God Almighty of the Old Testament, that God is known as the rock, the solid foundation. And Jesus is saying, I'm that rock. Build your life on me. Wow. Jesus goes on in the story, and he says, you know, not everybody builds like that. Some people go about their life in another way. They're more like a person who hears my words and just says, ah, they just blow it off. They don't take me seriously at all. They maybe confuse me with a church tradition that they don't like, so they just don't think they have to take it seriously. So anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, he says, is really, he uses the word fool. He says, that's like a builder who goes to work and builds a house, but maybe the same design and the same floor plan, but builds it on sand instead. Well, guess what happens? When he says that, this builder builds a house and puts it on sand. Everyone who heard that would have cringed. They would have said, ooh, don't do that. Because they all knew how tempting it was in that arid desert culture to just go plop a house up like in some ravine or a riverbed or some sandy spot and not take the time to dig down to the solid foundation of, of stone beneath. It was a lot easier. It was cheaper. It was faster. It was the wide, easy way. And they would have said, don't do that, though, because disaster lays ahead. That would be foolish. And Jesus, that's the point of his story. He says, guess what? That same storm came by. So you got the same wind and the same rain and the same beating on that house. And this is, this is a moment of truth where the floods are rising. And guess what happened to that house? Jesus says the whole thing collapsed and was utterly destroyed. Jesus says this is a story about two lives. It's a story about really the only two options that you and I have for how each of us lives our life. Someone who took them seriously, he calls them wise, because they built their life on the rock-solid foundation of who Jesus is. And someone else who's a fool, who ignores them and doesn't take Jesus seriously at all. But here's the point, I guess. You know, everyone's building a life. You are, I am, every day. And our lives, sometimes they look kind of the same on the outside, you know, from the curb appeal. But it's what's beneath the surface that makes all the difference, isn't it? Like, what's your life really built on? Are you taking Jesus seriously? Like, not just in what he says, like you can quote some of it, but you do what he says. Because Jesus says, I promise you one thing, the storm's coming. I mean, we're all going to go through tough stuff. We're all going to have hard things in our life. And we're all going to face our maker one day, right? 
So that's going to happen. Storms are coming for everyone. And the, the issue at the end of all that is going to be, man, what kind of foundation did you really have? And Jesus says, build your life on me, and I promise you that you will make it through every single storm in this life, and you'll be ready for whatever comes in the next life as well. So take me seriously. And then, and then he ends the whole Sermon on the Mount, the whole section, the whole thing he's ever said, all the teaching we've been through over the last several weeks, he ends it. And the people, it says in, in chapter 7 of Matthew, it says, they heard everything Jesus said, and they were amazed. Why? Because he spoke as one who had what? Authority. See, all the other teachers and scribes, they sort of had to quote someone, or they went to the Bible, or, or, they would, or they would kind of show their credentials or their resume or their pedigree of education to try to lend some credibility to give them some authority in what they were saying. And Jesus didn't teach like that at all. He didn't teach with by authority. He taught with authority. He himself was claiming to be the one who could speak God's words of life and truth. Trust me, he says. Enough to know that just as God loves you and looks out for you and is smart and knows what he's talking about, so do I. Build your life on me and I won't lead you wrong. Do you take Jesus seriously like that? If Jesus was serious, then what this means is, I mean, think about it. If Jesus was serious then, he's just said all this stuff and claimed to be God and all of this stuff, then he's either crazy or he's a criminal of some kind, or he's the Christ. And we all got to decide which we think it is because it really has to be one of those three. You can't say the stuff Jesus said and not be one of those three. Either he like, here's a guy, think about it now, here's a guy, he claims he can forgive sins, he claims that, that you should do what he says, that he's going to meet you on judgment day, and, you know, all that stuff. Either he's crazy, like he actually isn't any of those things, but he actually thinks he is, Woohoo! He's a little nutso in the head, and he's a little, you know, whatever, he's got some psychosis or whatever. You don't want to put your life in someone's hands like that. He's nuts. He could be crazy, or he could be a criminal, like he's not the son of God, and he knows it. He's just setting us all up. He's like, yeah, trust me, I got you. But really, he got nothing. Well, that's no kind of guy to follow. In fact, that's why you can't say, as so many people seem like they love to say today, you know what, I really like the teaching of Jesus. He's a really good moral teacher. I like, a lot, like the love each other stuff. I like, I like Jesus. I just don't like, I don't, I don't think he was necessarily a divine figure like God or whatever. It's like, you can't say that. If you say that, you don't know any idea what you're talking about because Jesus doesn't allow you to say that because Jesus said, guess what, I'm God. So if he says I'm God and he's not actually God, then he's not a good moral teacher and you can't be stealing the rest of his stuff. He's either crazy or he's a criminal or a crook like that, like a lying dog, or, or he is who he said he was, the Christ. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He's either out of his mind or he's ripping us off, or he is, in fact, exactly who he said he was, which brings us to Easter. Because all of this happened before he died, and the scriptures say, and hundreds of eyewitnesses attest, and the, and the example of millions of people through time prove that Jesus rose again. If, he just, if Jesus just died and stayed in the grave, then you don't have to listen to anything he said. But listen, if he 
if he rose again, dude, that changes everything. Okay? Like that means he's alive and still at it and still has the authority to speak into our lives. It means that he is the powerful son of God. It means that he is who he said. It means that he can forgive sin. He is stronger than Satan. It means he can conquer death, his and yours. It means that he can bring his kingdom to come. But it also means that you can still build your life on the rock-solid foundation of who he is and completely trust him and that he went to the cross to prove he was dead serious about you and that he rose again because he still wants to take us seriously. So I love, I, love, I love how all that comes down on an Easter where, where, where now we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So when we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, J- Jesus is standing on a mountain and he's, he's basically just told everyone what it means to be a disciple of his, to follow him, trust him and do his stuff. At the very end of the book of Matthew, after Jesus dies and rises again, Jesus goes to another mountain. And there he is standing there. And this time, he doesn't just tell us what it means to be a disciple. He says, now go and make disciples. And he gives us his final charge. And look what he says. In Matthew 28, 18, verse 18, this is like Jesus' final charge. It's his last words before he ascends and leaves the planet for good. What does he say? Same thing he said at the beginning. All what? All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Pretty audacious claim. I'm still here, in other words. The same Jesus who taught you before is back. Therefore, I got something I want to tell you before I, before I peace out. You ready? And then verse 19 and 20, here's what he says. This is what I want you to do. All authority, I'm speaking like I'm God. Either I'm crazy or I'm a criminal or I'm the Christ. You decide, but I'm telling you what. I've got the authority, and here's what I'm telling you. Now go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach him everything that I've commanded you. That's his final command before he left the planet. Go. In other words, live your life on mission for God. Do all the stuff that I told you. How? Make disciples. Help other people get it and come into the plan that God has for his kingdom. How do I do that? Start by baptizing them. Who? Everyone. All people, he says. And then... Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. In other words, help them to not just hear it in their head, but to do it in their heart. Friends, are you ready to take Jesus seriously like that? That's the Easter message right there. The Christian life is about saying yes to God when he speaks to you. It's about saying yes to God. So we got to begin where Jesus began. Jesus said, go make disciples of everyone. And the first yes, the first yes to following Jesus because following Jesus is a lifetime of yeses, right, where you're going to get asked to do lots of stuff every day. Like, hey, you need to forgive that person. Hey, you need to be kind to that person. Hey, you need to go get involved there. You, you, it's a lot of yeses to follow Jesus. I'm not going to lie. But the first yes, you know what the first yes is? Is baptism. That's why he says it. So I want to introduce you to a guy. A guy in the Bible who, who actually did not take Jesus seriously. I think, I think a lot of us honestly can relate to this guy. Because he was, he was successful. He had a good job. His was a government job. Um, and he, but he didn't take Jesus that seriously. But he kind of changed his mind. And he started saying yes. And it brought about some pretty big changes in his life. I want to tell you all about it. You can find it in your Bible in Acts chapter 16. We're just going to kind of roll through. Because I want to give you four kind of simple things that this guy did. Because they're the same things that every one of us is called to do. 
And it's a great little Easter wrap-up for us. So go to Acts chapter 16 in your Bible. The first thing we meet here is guys by the name of Paul and Silas. You ever heard of those names, Paul and Silas? These guys were followers of Jesus. This is after the resurrection now. These are the good guys. They're running around and doing stuff uh, for the early church there. But they're, they're sitting in jail when we find them here. They've been stripped of their clothes. They've been beaten up bloodied and turned black and blue, sitting in a skanky jail cell with a prison warden kind of like, you know, having abused them. Their crime is that they happened to believe Jesus was alive because they'd seen him and experienced him. And so they were like super jazzed about that and they were telling people about it and the leaders were like, shut up, put him in jail. They're stirring up trouble. So they beat him up and they put him there with legs in stocks and in the middle of the night, these guys are so convinced Jesus is alive and with them, they're like still happy. They're like singing praise songs to, to God in the middle of the night. They got black eyes. They got dried blood in their nose. And they're singing like, hallelujah, thank you, God. Doesn't make any sense, but that's what happens when you really believe Jesus is alive. Well, this nasty jailer who put him there is sleeping through the whole thing until about midnight when God gets his attention. So if you look at verse 26, here's what it says. Suddenly, there was this big, violent earthquake. Similar to the storm, maybe, that rattled the house. And it, it shook the foundations of the prison. Can you see that? And then all at once, the prison doors flew open. Uh-oh, uh-oh, everyone's chains came loose. rut row this is really bad news. If you're, if you're a prisoner, this is good news. If you're the, if you're the warden, this is what? <laughs> this is bad news. So what happens is, um, verse 27, the jailer wakes up, of course, and he's in a panic. Because he sees all the prisoners are going to be loose and he knows he's what? He's done for. Because he's been so cruel to them, it's a matter of time before they come for him. And he knows it. He's, got, he's on the clock. And in fact, if they don't kill him because he was the, the guy on duty when this went down, he's going to be executed anyway for letting the prisoners get away. So he takes his sword and he's going to fall on it and kill himself while he can, while he still has a chance to do something while he's still in control. Anybody have a, a little bit? Of, can you relate at all to this where you're just like so desperate for control you'll do anything you can to prove that you're still in control? Man, we love, we love to be, I mean, I do. I love to be in control. Like if I'm in a canoe, I'm in the back because that's where you steer. I don't, want you, I don't want you taking me someplace. I'll drive. No, 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 I'll drive. I'll drive. Why? Because I like to be in control. Maybe you're the same way. And this guy, this guy, just a few hours earlier, he's strutting up and down the corridors, you know, he's big, he's large and in charge. He's got the keys right here. Everyone's locked up. He's in control, right? But now all of a sudden, isn't it funny how life can change like that? Where something gets shaken up, where something gets rattled loose that you thought was all buttoned down and locked up, and all of a sudden it's not. And you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not as in control as I thought I was. That's exactly where this guy is. And for him, he feels like, man, my life's over. He knows it's over. And he's thinking about his life. He's thinking about, man, the regrets. Let me ask you a question. If you knew you would die in the next three minutes, like the next three minutes, is there anything in your life that you'd regret? Powerful question, isn't it? Immediately, I, I, I begin to scroll things I wish I hadn't done. Things I'm ashamed of or regrets that I would have to take before my maker. And we're all probably like that 
guy a little bit who had everything bolted down and locked up tight, but then something shook it loose. And I don't know what it is for you. It might be a divorce. It might be a death or a sickness or something changed with your job or something with your family or whatever. But eventually all of us experience that, don't we? The doors fly open and all of our control goes running right out. I wonder how is, how is God trying to get your attention lately through the circumstances of your life, through things that you're maybe not, you're afraid of losing control of. Just look at those as ways that God's trying to get your attention. And see it as a way where God's inviting you to take Jesus more seriously. This guy, this guy feels so hopeless, as a lot of people do today, with anxiety growing and depression and even suicide rates skyrocketing. This guy's ready to end it all. But before... He gets a chance to do that. Verse 28, Paul interrupts him, stops. He's literally got the, the sword to his belly, and Paul shouts, says, no, wait, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all here. I counted everybody. We're all here. It's like, I don't get this. This is crazy, right? Because if, like, you beat me up, and you, you're, about, you're ready to kill me, and you throw me in jail, and then I turn around and see you with a sword in your belly, I'm like, go in deep with that thing. But not Paul. He's been so changed by the risen living Jesus. He's felt so much compassion of Christ on him, like, like he was such a goof up and now he's like so happy about his new place with God that he, can, he shows that same compassion to this guy and it moves this guy. He's stunned and shocked by that in that moment. He's like, it's almost like I, these guys got something I want in my life. So verse 29, the jailer says, turn on the lights. I gotta see what's going on. And he rushes in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. So a minute ago, the whole place is trembling. Now he's trembling. And he's like, I got to get right with God. I want what these guys have. I got to take Jesus seriously. And this is where he begins to take four steps that are beautiful and available to every single one of us. And they're the same exact steps that I, I, the Bible talks about over and over again and that Jesus wants every one of us to take this Easter. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what they are. The first thing this guy does is easy. He just says a, he just tells the truth about his life. Like he is like no more games. Like hiding behind his badge or his power, his position or his title. It's like all of a sudden he just gets brutally honest. He humbles himself and he tells the truth about his life. And you got to tell the truth about your life when you come before God. You just got to be honest. Like no more games. Like oh look how impressive my house is. No no no. Let's look at the foundation. Let's tell the truth. How you doing? You and God. Where are you? The way he does it, it says in verse 30, he says, sirs, now here's the jailer talking to the prisoners, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's humility there. He's asking, like, what do, what do I got to do? It's hard to humble yourself, and maybe you still hold some keys, and that's why it's hard for you to kind of humble yourself before God. Or, or maybe, maybe you're like this guy in the sense that there's just a bunch of stuff you wish you could undo and you don't think you can ever undo it. Maybe it's from years ago or maybe from 48 hours ago. But the truth is no one can stand on their own before God, no matter how good. No one's, no one's got zero regrets. No one's got a perfect slate, great track record, and 100% righteous. Nobody. And so the first thing we do is we just kind of get honest and quit pretending and say, God, you know, I, I need you. I want to build my life on you and take you seriously. What do I need to do? 
So you tell the truth about yourself. Humble yourself before God. And then the second thing, it, well, here's the answer, by the way, in verse 31. Here's, here's what Paul and Silas say back to the guy. They say, well, what do you do? Well, you believe. Note that word. You believe in the Lord Jesus, and, and you'll be saved. You and your household, anybody who believes can be saved that way. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They told all about Jesus alive and all that Easter message. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. Now the jailer took them, and he washed their wounds. You see in this? And then, what is this word? Hello. Immediately, Immediately he and all his household were what? Baptized. The jailer then says, I know it's two in the morning, but how about you come over for a bite to eat? You look hungry. And he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy. I mean, this guy was, he was a jerk, and then he was horrified, and now he's filled with joy. Why? Because he had come to, there's that word again, believe in God, he and his whole household. And that word believe in the Bible, it doesn't just mean he understood some stuff in his head. It means that he trusted Christ in a personal way in his heart. That's what that word really conveys. And that's the second, that's the second step. The second yes is, is we all got to come to a place where you just trust Christ with your life. Where you like, like you trust that it's, and it's personal. It's not like some religion. It's like a relationship. And I love that you're here today. But I hope you know there's a difference between being in church and being like in Christ. Between believing that Jesus could forgive sins and knowing and saying thank you for forgiving my sin. Those are different. I got to see Cirque du Soleil um, uh, a little while ago. Have you guys ever seen that? I mean, that's crazy. You guys ever been to one of those? Nutso. These guys flying around, these acrobats all over up there. It's after a while, you're just like, what is going to happen next? And looking over here, there's this guy. He's just like flying around on some string or whatever, holding on by his toe, or I don't even remember. He's just like, woo, woo, woo. And then all of a sudden, he lets go and he's flying through the air. And then you think he's going to die. And then all of a sudden, this other person comes and grabs a hold of him. And he's like, he's got him. And it's like, what just happened? And there's a moment where this guy has to say, okay, I guess Fred's going to be there. And he lets go. And he's like, ah. And he's like, Pshh. how many of you be willing to do that? Huh? I'm glad your hand's not up because I'd have to call you a liar because uh, you're not doing that. No way. Every once in a while you read in the newspaper like, yeah, you know, Bob Smith, Cirque du Soleil specialist who's done this thing a hundred times, fell 75 feet and died, you know, because it could happen. But Jesus is saying, you can trust me and I'll never drop you. He's faithful and he's true because of who he is and who he claimed to be. He's not just like some guy that maybe he's going to get you, maybe not. You can trust him. You can let go. You can trust God in a personal way and know that instead of clinging to trying to get there on your own and be good enough, you can, when you finally let go and trust Christ in a personal way, he's got you. And that's, that's what that guy did. That's what you and I need to do. We need to, we need to tell the truth about our life. Come humbly before God. We need, to tell, we need to trust Christ. And then what does he do? He begins to actually see some change in his life. He turns his life in a direction that God wants him to go. Friend, that's what you and I need to do, isn't it? Gosh, wouldn't it be great if Easter was about you turning your life in the direction that God wants for you? Don't you know that there's some, there's some kind of change that probably needs to happen in your life? Isn't this a good time for that change to happen? Maybe a change that you can't make on your own. 
That's what the word in the Bible, repent, means, by the way. It just means to turn or to change, to actually see some behavioral difference in who we are. So we're not just like repeating words, but we're, we're able to be better disciples of Jesus. God wants to see some beautiful changes in your life. You know, when you come to Christ, the Bible actually says the old has gone and the new has come. Friends, there's something in your life that's old. It's time for it to go. Am I right? And there's something new that needs to come, and it can't come on your own. It's going to come as you trust Christ and turn your life in his direction. Isn't it time for that change? The resurrection means that the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is available for you and me to help us make the kind of changes we really want to make but can't make on our own. It's beautiful. It happened to the jailer. Happened quick in his case. I mean, a few hours earlier, he's inflicting wounds on these guys. A few hours later, he's like washing their wounds. A few hours earlier, he's throwing gruel between the grates of their prison cell. A few hours later, he's like, here, let me fix you some of my best food. A few hours earlier, he's an unhappy, self-centered person. A few hours later, he's filled with what? Joy. There are changes. That's real life, and God wants to bring real change in your life. How do you think God might be calling you to change? There's stuff in your life that needs to go. We all know it, and God can do it. So you see these, these steps, these yeses this guy gives. You, tell, you humble yourself, and you tell you the truth about your life, right? You say, God, I need you. And, then you. and then you trust Christ in a personal way, and then you turn your life in a direction he wants you to go. And then you do, there's one thing left that this guy does that Jesus says, I want everyone to do. And this guy takes the plunge. <laughs> he takes the plunge of baptism right then and there. Acts 16, 33. Remember that word? What does he say? Okay, Acts 16, 33, what's the word? Not like, hey, I'll get around to it, or maybe when I feel more like it, or it's more convenient, or family's around, or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't say any of that. It just says immediately. I'm just telling you, that's what it says. And from, this time, from the time of the resurrection of Christ, for 2,000 years, and everyone, every example in the Bible of a person who said yes to Jesus, they're baptized. In fact, there's not an example in the scriptures of a person who says yes and joins this movement of Jesus, the church, who isn't baptized. It's there every single time. And nobody thought of the water as like magical or anything like that, like the water saves you. They just believed that Jesus is who he said he was, and he had authority, and he was alive still, and this is what he asked them to do. And so that's why I feel like today is special at Mountain, because... I know there are people who have already signed up to lead the way and to say, I, I want to get baptized. But I also believe that there's some other people here who God might be nudging even right in this moment. And maybe you weren't planning on it, but you're, you do want to see changes in your life and you're ready to humble yourself and just say, God, I, I, I want to get baptized today, right here, right now. I'm going to take my shoes off and the campus pastors are going to do the same. We're going to get in the water with the clothes we're wearing. And I just invite you to... Step forward and do the same thing in just a couple minutes. Just to make that change. Come to the water and someone will hold your cell phone and watch your stuff. We'll take care of all that. But just be ready to, to say yes. I know that when we, when we talk about baptism and stuff like that, I, I think there's always some questions. I, I don't have time to answer all the questions, but I know some of the ones I hear the most often. Like just the most basic one. It's like, well, run that by me again. Like why should I get baptized? 
Why should I be baptized? Well, the simplest answer is because, well, Jesus was baptized, and then he commanded us to do it. He said, go get baptized and baptize everyone you can. And then all the early followers did it, and it's been going on for 2,000 years. That probably ought to be reason enough. And still you may wonder, like, well, do I have to? Like, is this a have to? <laughs> Which I just offer to you might be a little bit of the wrong question, you know? Like, hey, what's the least I can do and still get in? I mean, it's just like the wrong question. I know he hung there and bled on the cross, but do I have to get wet? It's like, I'd stand on my head if that's what he told me to do. Who should be baptized? Like who? How do I know if I'm ready and so forth? I think it's anyone who's ready to trust Christ as their personal Lord and wants them to forgive their sin and is ready to start a new life and turn after Jesus. You're ready to take the plunge. Well, but don't I need to learn a bunch more stuff? I don't know if I'm ready. I don't feel like i got to get my life in order, right? Don't I got to get some things together first? And maybe later when I'm, it's like, no, that's really not how it works. You know, baptism isn't a sign that you kind of got your stuff together. It's not a sign of perfection or maturity. It's actually a birth. It's a beginning. It's your first yes of others to follow. In fact, the people in the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, when they heard one sermon about who Jesus was, they said, what should we do? And he said, believe and turn and get baptized. And 3,000 of them did that day. You've heard more than they heard already. So this is the reason that we don't practice infant baptism at Mountain. I don't know if, this, if you've ever understood that or not about, about our practice and how we understand the Bible, but we don't find in the Scriptures examples of babies um, you know, b- being baptized as near as we can tell. A baby can't do what that jailer did that night. A, a, jailer, a, a, a baby um, can't take stock of their life and come humbly before God and, and trust Christ and have belief or change or repent. A baby can't do any of those things. So what we do is we have amazing and beautiful parent and child dedication services where we hold up our babies and we pray for them. We ask Jesus to bless them. But really what we're doing is we're also praying for parents and grandparents and whole family units and just saying, God, will you help us to aim these children in every way we can so they will one day be able to trust Christ and turn to him and choose him as their own Lord and Savior because no one can really do that for another person, right? What if I was baptized as an infant? Would that be disrespectful or a disavowal of my heritage if I were to be baptized again here today? I would say absolutely not. To the contrary, as hundreds and hundreds of people at Mountain have discovered, it would be more like a way of saying thank you to your mom or dad or pastor or priest, whoever held you up and had those aspirations and prayers over you that day, you know? You're saying, today I want to affirm and echo everything you've meant for me when you planted those spiritual seeds in me and uh, held me up so many years ago. I want to fulfill that prayer you made over me that day in a personal way by deciding to be baptized as an adult. Well, what, if I, what if I've tried to live as a Christian for a long time, but I've just never thought much about baptism? Is, what, what should I do? I mean... Is it important to add in at this point? And I would say once you understand any desire of Jesus or teaching or example of Scripture concerning baptism or anything else, you ought, to, you ought to just do it. Go ahead. Whether it was 10 minutes ago, 10 seconds ago, or 10 years ago that you finally made a decision, you know. 
What about this question? How, how should I be baptized? Well, if you've been around mountain, you've, you've noticed that um, we dip people beneath the water. You've seen, you've seen these jacuzzis for Jesus, right? You, you get that. We do these pools. Why do, why do we do that? Why do we baptize by immersion all the way under? Well, the, the, the main reason is that's what the word means. Baptize in the Bible, it's a word there, and it actually means to dip or dunk or plunge beneath water. We see Jesus when he was baptized. He, it says in the Bible that he went down into the water, and then he came up out of the water, and and it's also just a beautiful way to picture how, like when you're dunked, you like you go all in, you know, you can't do it part way. And it's kind of a symbolic way of saying, I'm all in for Jesus. I'm going to take him seriously. And you think about it, every body part, you come forward in just a little bit. I'm going to invite you to come. And if you do, we're going to put every body part underwater. And as you do, it's just kind of a beautiful way to say, you know, my head is now devoted and surrendered to Christ, I'm going to try to think the things that Jesus wants me to think. My mouth, I'm going to try to say the things Jesus wants me to say. You know, my ears, I'm going to try to hear. hear and my, and my eyes, I'm going to try to focus on my, my, my sexual organs. Are, 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 I'm going to try to devote them, you know, to being holy before the God. My hands, I'm going to try to do the things that God would lead me to do. My whole body, like all of me, God, I'm, I'm yours. And the other beautiful thing about why we dunk is in the, the New Testament people loved it because it was a dramatic reenactment of the centerpiece of our faith. What? The death, burial, and then what? Resurrection of Christ. This is why, this is why baptism by immersion is so powerful. That's what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 6. Look at this. Here's what he says. Don't you know that everyone, when you get baptized, the reason we do it like that is that when you were baptized, we were baptized into his death. It, like, it looks like you're dying. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that. Why? So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When you're baptized, it looks like you're dying and you're saying, I'm going to die one day, but I ain't going to stay dead because Jesus is going to what? Raise me up. And you're saying just as Jesus rose from the dead, boom, and you're reenacting the centerpiece of the East. There's nothing more Eastery to do than be baptized. I'm telling you that. It tells the whole story right there. Now, I know, I know there's a bunch of practical questions, and I'm out of time, so I just, I'm going to tell you there's a bunch of practical questions. You've got questions, I know. It's like, is the water cold? How do I do it? Where do I go? You know, is there, do I need a snorkel and fins? Is Ben <laughs> Kirk Boland can't be strong enough to lift me out of that water. I'm a big person or whatever. So it's like, listen, we've been doing this like 198 years at Mountain. We've only lost like, what, seven or eight? Uh, it's like <laughs> odds are way in your favor. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you, serious, in all seriousness, to be baptized today. Even if you weren't planning on it, I'm going to invite you to do it like that guard did. Immediately. Like right now. He did it in the middle of the night. I'm asking you to do it in the middle of the day. we got people ready at every one of our campuses. A simple system. Just come forward. You're going to get baptized. The clothes you're wearing. It's all good. You say, I couldn't do it today. It's like, why couldn't you? Yeah, you could. Why couldn't you? Well, I haven't had a baptism class yet. Yeah, you just did. <laughs> I don't have a towel. Well, we got a mountain of towels, and there's a fluffy one with your name on it. Thought of that. I don't have a change of clothes. It's like, well, we actually will give you a T-shirt, and your clothes will dry. It's a beautiful day out. I wore something light-colored, and, you know, I don't want to be too revealing in the water. Like I say, we have a T-shirt we'll give you. Well, I got a silk dress, or, you know, it's just too fancy. I can't get it wet. It's like, if you insist, we got a, we got a boatload of swimsuits and, and T-shirts, and you can go priv privately change or whatever. But, you know, well, I got to, what about my car seats? You know, my car seats will get all wet. It's like, I know they'll get a little damp for a minute, but you'll be glad for all eternity. That sounds like a pretty good trade. 
And besides, we'll give you a plastic bag, put all your stuff in and sit on it if you want. And can you think of a better reason to get your car wet? And let's be serious. What do you drive anyway? I mean, come on. <laughs> Lamborghini? Come on. What about my stuff? My cell phone. I got a wallet. I got a watch. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. Yeah, you can't get baptized because you have a watch. You know, it's like, we thought, you know, it's, it's not a problem. Hand them to somebody. Or we, we have a whole system. You come up here, you put it in an envelope, and then uh, we're going to sell it on Facebook Marketplace while you're <laughs> in. The, no, it's like we got, a th- we got a guy, you know, we got a security team going to watch your stuff in a bag for two minutes while you get baptized, all right? That's just it. No problem. Well, my family's not here, and I really like them to be here. I understand, but this isn't between you and your family. This is about you and God. And maybe this is your moment. The real barrier wouldn't be any of these things or anything else we can think up as an excuse. It would just be, are you ready to trust Christ and just say yes to this thing so that you can say yes to a whole bunch of other things that I know he's probably going to ask of you. And I know it's scary, but sometimes you just got to take that flyer and know that you're not flying into the dark. You're flying into Jesus' hands. I believe it's a special holy moment, and some of us are going to respond to a holy nudge from God right now. It's not a pressure moment. We're not trying to press or sail anyone on anything here. I just don't want you to miss an opportunity. If this is your moment, I mean, don't let this pass by to start a new chapter in your life the way that Jesus asked you to through baptism. So in about 60 seconds, I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, we're going to sing this song, and campus pastors are going to go into the water at all of their campuses, and we're just going to wear the clothes we have on, kick off our shoes. I'm going to take off this microphone so I don't electrocute myself. And then... We'll have, um, we'll have people ready to welcome you. As soon as I'm finished praying, you can respond. So if you've already registered, go get in place. You can go do that at all of our campuses. Um, if you're a helper, go get in place. If, you, if you're already someone who's been baptized by immersion, and this is something you've already done, I just want to encourage you, this is your moment to remember your baptism, to rededicate yourself, to say, I'm all in. I want to be serious with God. And then also to to pray like crazy for anyone else who might be thinking right now. Someone way in the back who's like, ah, it's too far to walk. Just pray. Just pray for whoever's going to respond. And I'm talking to someone online who might want to decide to do this. You just let the chat host know and we'll help you figure it out when you're going to do that. But anybody else listening in any of our campuses, I just want to encourage you right now. There's, there's tables you'll see that you'll go to in just a minute. Just quickly, you'll hand your stuff, take off your shoes, whatever, and then just make your way. Don't rush, but don't delay. Don't miss your moment here. We'll give you a t-shirt, we'll get in the water, we'll get baptized. And you'll never have a regret about that. So I'm going to pray and then we'll move. Okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that that power is available to all of us on this Easter. And we feel that spirit that raised him working in us. We feel it drawing us to take you more seriously. And I I pray now for those particularly who are like, gosh, should I do this? That you will just help ease the tightness in their chest and help them to follow through and to say yes, not just to hear your words, but to do them, to trust you and to turn their life toward the changes you want to make in them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.